Now, our panel to review the Sunday papers will be with us in just a moment. I'm just going to run through the headlines very quickly. Sunday Business Post, leading with the story, uh, certainly the domestic story of the month so far, uh, the floods. Flood warning, 30,000 at-risk homes won't be protected. This is an OPW report identifying 70,000 Irish homes as potentially at risk of flooding by rivers or the sea, which seems like uh, the bad planning decisions of the last 30 years. Um, the chickens coming home to roost, it would appear on that, and with dreadful consequences for the people who live in those homes. The Sunday World, uh, leading with uh, the story of um, Jason Corbett, a gentle giant, is the headline, Mum of Jason's first wife speaks out and wants the truth told about murdered dad, is the sub-headline. Uh, the Irish Mail on Sunday leads with Irish Waters, €20,000 a day on consultants, and that's on top of John Tierney's infamous 86 million, the headline says. Uh, the story by Ben Haas says Irish Water spent almost 20,000 per day on consultants in the first eight months of 2015. That's on top of the 86 million it initially budgeted for external help uh, to set up the company. Um, the Sunday Times, no charge for drink driving Mayor OD. Story by John Mooney says that Jerry OD, the Fianna Fáil Metropolitan Mayor of Limerick, will face no charges for drink driving despite overturning a car. Uh, while driving under the influence of alcohol. They also have a photograph of a protest in Cologne yesterday uh, by uh, basically over to express anger over the sex attacks on women uh, by men suspected to be migrants. I think there were clashes, certainly verbal clashes, between right-wing and left-wing uh, groups at that. Um, Labour vows harsh cuts to state debt. Is a story by Stephen O'Brien. Interesting story, Labour... Uh, it would seem are the uh, the new party of uh, fiscal rectitude. The Labour Party pledging to cut the debt to GDP ratio by almost thirty percent in the next five years, putting a strict debt break into its general election manifesto. Uh, sign of the changing times. Uh, Gardaí moved to avert radicalisation is also a story by John Mooney on that uh, front page, saying Gardaí have set up a programme to identify young Muslims who may be vulnerable to radicalisation. It sounds like a sensible policy. And um, just lastly. Uh, the Sunday Independent leading with a, I suppose, a similar story um, or a story arising out of that a poll. It's a poll they've done. Poll terrorists hide among our refugees. 43% say we're taking in too many migrants. 59% concerned that terrorists are among them. And huge urban-rural split fears of Paris-style uh, attack. OK, here to review the Sunday papers is uh, Health Minister uh, Leo Varadkar, Renewal Leader, Lucinda Creighton and Terry Prone of the Communications Clinic. Um, Terry, I might just start with you first as, I suppose, the communications expert among us. What happened in Germany in the last week was extraordinary because, I mean, these attacks are horrific. There's no doubt about it. But there was a kind of a cover-up and there was a fear of upsetting people and the fact that these people, these, the men who, who carried out that um, now clearly uh, have come from a North African stroke Muslim background, that was covered up, including by some of the media, for fear of offending people. But what's fascinating is that social media is supposed to be the one unmediated source of data on everything that's instantaneous, that's simultaneous. And yet in this instance, it didn't come through. And mainstream media is now being blamed for a cover-up. But the whole thing 
is so bizarre. The fact that there were in Cologne 140 police officers only, even though 1,700 were on duty on other celebration days. There have been now 379 cases uh, actually taken in relation to this, two of them of rape. And if you if you juxtapose that with the number of police officers who were on duty at the time, it just seems totally bizarre. But the communication deficit then goes further because, first of all, the police did not seem to get how unacceptable their deployment had been and the end result is that the top policeman is gone. And secondly, the mayor, female, basically came out and said that women on celebratory nights... Need to keep men at arm's length or something, was it? She said they need to keep men at arm's length, they need to be surrounded by men, and this, despite the fact that many of the women who were assaulted were with men who tried vainly to uh, defend them, and she was basically blaming the women and suggesting that uh, the aggressors were not totally at fault. It was an outrageous communication but the whole thing is still inexplicable and bizarre. It doesn't add up the entire thing. Uh, Lucinda Creighton, does it have the potential... I mean, it shouldn't change the debate in many ways, but we know events do do change uh, do change debates, even when they shouldn't. Does this have the potential to change the, the debate across here? Because t- some people will say... Uh, and perhaps not unreasonably, that you know they had been warning about the the potential for this to happen, and that in this kind of liberal feel good uh, move to to do good, the, that these fears were sort of brushed under the carpet. Of course, it has the potential to change the debate, and in a sense, the debate has already changed because, I mean, um, a number of months ago, particularly after a little boy was washed up on a beach, and that photograph went viral on the front page of newspapers, everybody was saying, you know, we should open the doors, we open the gates, uh, allow all all of these refugees in. Um, I, I detected very quickly, within a couple of weeks, um, that that sentiment was changing. Um, and that, you know, the initial sort of, I suppose, um, emotional response um, changed into one that was a little bit more circumspect. Mm. 43% um, of people, according to the Sunday Independent Poll, believe uh, the number we have taken in of refugees, which doesn't seem like a lot in the face yeah, with 4,000, yeah. they believe that's too many. Yeah, I, I suppose I'm not surprised by that. Um, I think, um, you know, I, I'd always question how these polls are conducted as well and the nature of the questions. They're generally quite leading questions, but that's... that's yeah, it that's, is, it is that's, Millward Brown, uh, uh, a respected a polling company. Sure, but respected polling companies do often fall with leading questions. questions. I mean, let's be clear. Um, but, um, you know, I think... I think that there, there's there's a risk that, you know, on the one hand, we we become overtaken by the emotional and that's very easy to happen. But but equally that we, you know, that we as as a society use events like um, Cologne and the other cities in Germany um, to to completely turn the debate on its head and and, uh, and start shutting shutting down the debate. Yeah, like. the danger is, though, that's, that is a danger. Yeah. And but the danger on the other side is that it will feed bigotry, xenophobia, racism. Yeah, yeah. If you try and cover up what happened, and that Absolutely, seems to be what happened. That's exactly in what, what appears to have happened, which is quite bizarre. Because you can, you know, in the age of the internet and of social media, you can't cover these things up, nor should you. Um, and if there is an issue, it, it should be it should be uh, it should be brought to light. Um, I think that we have to 
try to avoid being led simply by sentiment on on this issue. And I think we have to try and have a coherent response. What's gone wrong over the last year or so is that the European Union has not had a coherent response. We saw Germany and Angela Merkel going out on a limb. Arguably, um, her intervention, while very well intentioned, you know, caused... um, unintended consequences and quite negative consequences because it was essentially saying to anybody who wanted to come from Syria and, and, um, and that part of the Middle East um, to to come on over and the doors are open and if you get here, if you make it, you'll be allowed to stay. And, you know, I think that we have to, it, I don't think it's xenophobic or unreasonable to say that that there should be screening and there should be a process and mechanism in place to ensure uh, that refugees are genuinely refugees, not just economic migrants. And there has to be a mix. Obviously, there's a mix. Um, um, And, you know, I think that, you know, in a sense, there has been an attempt to silence anybody who questions uh, the kind of complete open door policy. I think it has to be open door, but it has to be, uh, it has to involve screening and it Mm. has to take into account security issues, but also the the kind of cultural issues that are emerging in in Germany. uh, And they're only going to to heighten, in my opinion. Uh, Leave Racker. Yeah, I've only kind of um, been reading about the events in Cologne the last couple of days. Um, I've been been busy with other things and um, yeah, just kind enough. of getting getting the news. And um, I, I think the whole the whole thing is shocking and really terrifying. And the whole I think what happened there really has to be roundly condemned. It's actually quite frightening to think that in you know in a European city that our sisters and friends could be subjected to what seems like a coordinated set of sexual assaults it's just it's just shocking mm. um and you know you often see events happening in 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 Paris and London and New York and you say these are big cities and a city like Dublin is immune from are not immune but is unlikely to face sort of major terrorist attacks or something like that of the sort that we've seen in Madrid or, or London or Paris but Cologne is a city not not in dissimilar size to an Irish city, and uh, and see what happened there. Um, it's chilling, it, in, it, in my view. It is, and look, it is. Uh, I also think, though, I should say uh, we shouldn't actually jump to conclusions. Though um, nobody has yet been convicted. Um, no, but it so does seem clear, and I think you're absolutely right to jump to conclusions. It does seem clear that the majority of those involved in, in this were. Uh, migrants. Now we should also mm. stress, and you're right. Let's not ju- suggest for a second that the majority of migrants I, I, were involved. I was just, I was just, I, I was just going to say it's very important to, to to stress that I've no doubt the majority of migrants would would be would find these actions abhorrent, absolutely abhorrent. It does beg the question. It's an unpalatable question, and I hesitate to even to even raise it because you're you're jumping to some conclusions by even raising it. Have we underestimated? Um, the cultural differences that exist between people who live in Europe and who have been lived here for a long period of time and people who are coming here from different parts of the world? Well, there are enormous cultural differences. Um, and um, I don't think it's something we can turn a blind eye to or pretend doesn't exist. I think what's very important when it comes to our immigration policy, and I, I'm somebody who actually thinks immigration by and large is beneficial. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I'm, as you know, I'm half Irish. My, my dad, dad's Indian originally. Uh, and uh, and I, I am in charge of a health service which is heavily dependent on, on migrants and uh, uh, doctors and nurses from overseas. So I'm somebody who actually believes that immigration is good for our economy uh, and good for our society, but it's also something that needs to be controlled. And we do need to accept and understand the fact that cultures are different in other countries and people will actually come to Ireland and do come to Ireland uh, to work and live but we'll actually look down on our culture and look down on our freedoms and our liberalisms and think that they're wrong and that's why we need to make sure that people who do 
come to Ireland um, actually uh, accept our culture and are properly integrated to it. And if people can't accept uh, our culture and our standards and our freedoms, well, then they shouldn't be welcome here. Mm. Uh, interesting piece in the Sunday Times today. I don't know if, uh, if you had a chance to, to look at it, guys, by David Goodhart, the director of the Integration Hub. Now, it's quite a provocative piece. It's a thought-provoking piece, Terry. He's... I, I mean, this isn't some kind of you know far right group by any means. These are a, a group that that are involved in integration and studies of of migrant patterns and so on. And there's a line that jumped out on me. He said, "By focusing on the suffering of individuals, we lose sight of the fate of societies which are doomed when the young and able leave, rather than to fight for change." He says, "I feel sorry for displaced Syrian professionals, but in a world in which a child dies every minute from malaria, they do not have the first call on their generosity. They are at least safe in camps near the Syrian border, and they are the people Syria will need when the conflict ends." That is the. The most elitist statement that I have heard in a long time, because he is basically saying we will run history in such a way that we have a resource there in refugee camps for when peace is imposed or develops in Syria. It's an outrageous statement. He does raise a number of issues that need to be questioned. One is the the notion that refugeeism and the management of refugee floods is easy. Of course, if you have a situation where the majority of refugees making it to other countries are young males, that in and of itself skews the demographic in that country, whereas if families make it, it's in some ways a better mix. Distributing refugees throughout a country rather than concentrating them in a particular area area has benefits for the receiving country but there would be many people who would say um, well maybe it's better for refugees to be in some kind of groups remembering that in the 19th century there were actually Gaeltachts in Philadelphia because Irish people Mm. did like to go together. What I don't like about this piece Shane and I appreciate that he's not overtly right wing, I don't like a piece that repeatedly talks about the lobby group the the refugee lobbyists because I don't think that we need to carry to rise each other in that kind of way. This is an international problem. Tony Allen Mills in the Sunday Times has done an absolutely beautiful piece where he talks about the issue that you've raised, about the debate shifting, and he says the debate has shifted in Germany to sexism, racism, and what one politician called the social romanticism implicit in Angela Merkel's moves. Now, those are interesting issues that we have to deal with, but we have to deal with them anyway. Refugees mm. are simply the catalyst. Listen, uh, David Goodhart's argument, uh, he, he actually says he would narrow the definition of a genuine refugee to the most vulnerable, not so many uh, able-bodied young men. Is that going too far in your view or does he raise interesting I, d- I don't think that the term refugee has to be redefined, but I do think that there has to be um, an analysis uh, of of the people who are entering the European Union currently. Yeah, I think uh, I think most I think people would look at that and say, if there's a million people in Germany, I, I think people can legitimately ask, without being accused of being xenophobic or extreme right wing, people would ask, are all those million were were all were, were they all genuine refugees? Exactly. Yeah, and I think that 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 is a question that not only. 
Um, do we have a right to ask? It's a question that we have to ask. Um, otherwise, it's, you know, there's no responsible leadership being provided at European level. The problem is that um, European countries have been so divided on this. Some have refused to accept any refugees, which is completely unreasonable. Uh, and others have opened the door completely and allowed pretty much anybody in. Um, and th- and that obviously causes huge problems then. It puts pressure on the Schengen zone because those um, those entrants to Germany and to other countries are entitled to travel wherever they want throughout the European Union, essentially. Um, and so it creates tensions between member states of the EU. So it's a recipe for absolute disaster. If we could, as European Union member states, come together to have a coherent approach to this in terms of um, who, we al- who we allow in, how it's processed, how it's managed in terms of ensuring that re- refugees are uh, accommodated in all member states throughout the European Union doing it in a partnership way instead of the sort of standoff that we've seen for the last 12 months, then I actually think that we could have a really, really coherent response uh, and we could actually, you know, give uh, a home to those um, extremely vulnerable refugees who are desperately seeking a home. Um, But instead what we've seen is an absolute nightmare. It's an absolute disaster and, you know, Cologne is just a symptom of that in my opinion. Um, Leo Vlacker, um your old cabinet colleague Pat Rabbit is writing about this uh, today as well. He talks about the, uh, as Lucinda was saying, the very uncoordinated approach um, from Europe and the, and the poor approach uh, from Europe to this issue. Would you do you go along with that? Yeah, I think it's been an enormous uh, failing of Europe. Um, in fact, that um, when challenged with a massive migration crisis, that Europe, rather than coming together and having a united and coordinated policy on migration uh, and on what's happening in in, in Syria and uh, and the Middle East uh, has fallen apart and broken back to e- being nation easier, states again. Easier said than done, though, isn't it? Come oh, up, I know, with, a, I know come up with a united approach. Yeah, but isn't that what, what the European Union was all about? Uh, and we've managed, for better or for worse, and largely for the better, uh, to develop a single market, you know, a free travel area, a common currency. Uh, and yet on something like migration, we weren't able to come together and nation states broke down again and essentially said, um, our solution to this problem is to push the problem onto our neighbour, mm. which is not what Europe was supposed to be all about. And one of the things, um, I, I wouldn't wouldn't be a big fan of him, but one of the things I, I thought really interesting over the Christmas period was Peter Sutherland's lecture on uh, on migration. I'm not sure if you heard it, and it was mm. really it really said it for me, uh, the extent to which um, Europe as an entity has has failed uh, on on this. Mm. I, I'm um, it's a, as a side note. I'm I'm curious that as a as a Fine Gael stalwart, you're not a fan of Peter Sutherland. I would have thought that was uh, rule three in the in the Fine Gael handbook. No, I, well, I, I shouldn't say I'm not a fan of. I don't think I've ever met him. <laughs> I've met him. I've met him very briefly, but um, I, I suppose I wouldn't be a fan of Goldman Sachs and um, okay. <laughs> the whole the whole financial. The, the, but um, I, I don't I don't, I don't don't mistake that as a criticism. Of yeah, him, okay, no, all right. Back to your point about the sheer number of people going into Germany. Let us not forget Germany needs them. Leo's point earlier about a health service that would collapse were it not for migrant doctors and nurses is well taken. The fact is that there are many countries in Europe which, because of their demographic, desperately need young, qualified, willing workers. And in many cases, particularly in relation to the Syrian refugees, these are hu- very well qualified, qualified. Uh, young men and women. Mm-hmm. Um, listen, just, just lastly on this, uh, did, I mean, there's no question the debate has shifted from... Uh, 
I mean, I always thought the security thing was probably wildly exaggerated. The idea that, you know, oh, well, I mean, there was there was some some evidence that these these channels were being used by small numbers of terrorists to get into Europe. But mm. I mean, the, 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 the other view on that would be they were always going to find a way to get into Europe. But the debate seems to be shifting from security concerns to more about this the the, the difficulties of integration and mm-hmm. they are they are real difficulties of course they are um and i think you know i think it's a shame um that for example the paris attacks um and uh, other uh, security threats over the last number of months have highlighted uh, the lack of uh, a coherent approach at eu level and how that has um essentially seen the 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 refugee crisis abused by a minority and we have to be really clear of course it's a tiny minority yeah. and you know i'm sure the vast majority are genuine and legitimate but we have to we can't just simply ignore that fact we have to um as a as a union come together to to ensure that um that there are ways and means to protect um, our citizens and ensure that terrorists are not using these channels as, a, as, a, as, as an easy e- entrance to, to the European Union. Um, and I think that's that's a really important point. Um, yeah, I suppose the focus has shifted um, onto the kind of the, the cultural tensions, the integration issues. These aren't new. I mean, you only have to look across the, the water at at the United Kingdom to see look at look at Paris look at look at France and the huge cultural tensions that exist um, and we can't afford to turn a blind eye to that what we don't want to see is the rise of you know extreme um, political forces as we have seen in France mm. and it's a, a direct response um, to the to the failure of integration in that society um, you've seen it with the BNP, who I think were officially deregistered uh, this week, uh, which is no bad thing in the UK. Um, but I suppose that the mantle has been taken up by UKIP, amongst others, and some extreme elements of, of the mainstream parties in the UK. But I mean, that will feed um, those sort of political extremists unless there is a, a genuine response to this and a facing up to the risks that exist and a, and a, and a, a strategy not just at national level but across the European Union to, to actually deal with integration and you know not everybody can be integrated not everybody wants to be integrated mm. some people just want to impo- impose their way on us and personally I'm completely opposed to that Okay, um, let us know your views on this. Drops a text 5216 at a cost of 30 cent. Uh, Lucinda Creighton, Leo Varadkar and Terry Prone are staying with us. We'll be back in a moment on The Sunday Show. Yeah, no surprise. There's a big, big text reaction uh, to the item we were talking about, the uh, the events in Cologne on New Year's Eve. Joe in Wexford says, Merkel naively assumed that migrants from the Muslim world would not bring their social attitudes of their home countries with them to Europe. Uh, Alex says, this was a cover-up, not some sort of mass public silence. Another listener says, there is a difference between refugees and migrants. They are not interchangeable terms. Yeah, except all refugees are migrants. I don't think there's nothing wrong with saying somebody's a migrant. I don't think it's a dirty word, and it certainly shouldn't be a dirty word. Many of our uh, friends and family have been migrants in the past, even economic migrants. So there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, Pat in Dublin says, Shane, you say the instance Cologne should not change the debate about asylum seekers. What type of comment is that? Why shouldn't those instances be part of the debate as if we have a debate? Anyway, you and the media have a chat about asylum seekers every now and then when some crisis arrives. There's no meaningful debate about it at all. Well, Pat, I... I, I think we had a fairly meaningful debate on the issue then. 
I wasn't, well, if I, I, I didn't mean to suggest it shouldn't be part of the debate. I don't think it should form entirely the debate, the actions of a minority. But you're absolutely right. It has to be included and it has to be discussed. Uh, Peter says, well done, uh, Shane, about time. Some of the media asking hard questions. Uh, Johnny and Kilkenny says, I was in Cologne on New Year's Eve a couple of years ago. It was mayhem. Thousands of drunk people throwing fireworks at each other. One of the girls we were with was groped. That was 10 years ago before the refugee crisis. Mm. Not excusing what happened, but the general mayhem that surrounds uh, New Year's even Cologne might explain why the story was slow to get out. Uh, Johnny, I don't think that was why it was slow to get out. We have, we, we know that the police in Cologne explicitly took out uh, a version of events that showed that it was mainly migrants involved in this for fear of stoking social tensions. Now, they may have done it for the right reasons, but clearly that was the wrong thing to do. OK, our uh, our panel going through the Sunday papers is Health Minister Leo Varadkar, Renewal Leader Lucinda Creighton and uh, Terry Prone of the Communications Clinic. Uh, Terry, uh, Leo and Lucinda, they're, they're too young to remember this. You and I, unfortunately, aren't. Um, Liam Collins writing about it, the sad uh, death of, of Patrick Connolly uh, during the week, uh, the Attorney General in 1982. The most extraordinary story, I think, in the history of Irish politics. I don't think it's any exaggeration to, and to say that. what Liam is doing is effectively saying, isn't it sad that a man who had a great career and was a good professional operator yeah. should have his life just summed up in one bizarre week that happened to him. And what actually happened to him was that a man named Malcolm MacArthur, who I always think of as wearing a dicky bow, possibly even in bed, um, went bizarre and decided he was going to murder people in order to get money. He murdered one man when he was buying a gun from him. And then he encountered a nurse, God love her, Bridie Gargan. Bridie Gargan was, was first, actually. The nurse was, was it, first, it, yeah, in the Phoenix Park. Donald Dunn was the man. Her, she was murdered. sunbathing. And he just killed her. And he did everything in a completely inefficient way. And then his partner, with whom he had a son, had been doing some work at some stage, interior decoration or whatever, for uh, uh, Patrick Connolly, and therefore had access and had stayed in his apartment in Dorky. Yeah, we should say Patrick Connolly had no, not even a, a clue. Nothing to do with that any this. Was this. The mo- this man was the most wanted man in the state. There was a, a yeah. huge manhunt on for him. And, and MacArthur was staying in his house and he took him to a match where MacArthur was... Was it all our hurling semi-final? Was that, I'm so Park. grateful for that elucidation. And he was introduced to the then, I think, Garda Commissioner yeah. or maybe the if Assistant If you saw it in the film, you'd say, Allah, come on, this is ridiculous, it couldn't happen. And God love Patrick Connolly, he then went off on his holidays, as people do, and... Um, <clears throat> It never struck him to say to the then Taoiseach Charlie Hawhey, this man has been arrested in my actual apartment. Well, there is a suspicion that he told Charlie Hawhey. Charlie Hawhey was in Inish Vicolon at the time and there was a... Might not have been... Well, euphemistically, it was a bad phone line, I think, is the euphemism that might be used. And then Charlie Hawhey, or one of his spin doctors, came up with this description, which was absolutely accurate. He summed up the weird sequence of events that effectively brought down an attorney general who was completely innocent as grotesque, unbelievable, bizarre and unprecedented, all of which it was. But um, what's his name? The the Labour... Connor Cruz O'Brien. O'Brien came up uh, with pulled the whole lot together in an acronym as GUBU and then GUBU became part of our national currency from then on. It's an extraordinary story. Um, Lucinda Creighton and Leo Verdacher were, were only uh, knee-high to a, a grasshopper at that stage. Um, 
the two of you guys, though, I mean, you, you might not remember this story, but you're certainly the focus of the Sunday papers today. You can hardly turn a page without seeing uh, either of you. Uh, Leo, it's been a, a, a sort of a challenging week for you. Uh, I think it's fair to say calls for your resignation. Uh, some criticism of you, as you might expect, uh, across the papers today. Uh, Jean Kerrigan uh, being critical. Interesting piece as well by, by Susan Mitchell, uh, as, as always, in relation to the trolley crisis. Uh, the criticism of you, um, if I can put it to you, is that you're you're um, you're almost hovering above the, uh, the the crisis. That you're sort of saying this is awful. Something should be done about it. When you're actually the minister in charge. Yeah, well, I suppose every week is actually a tough week in health. Um, sometimes you feature in the news heavily. Sometimes you don't. Just because it's not in the news doesn't mean it wasn't a tough week. And. Um, I often see journalists and commentators talking about, I think for about six months now, they've been talking about my honeymoon being over. I absolutely guarantee you from the first week no in July when I started in this job, it was never it was never honeymoon. Um, when I do read those pieces in the papers, I suppose what I look to see if there's any kind of, um, uh, if they're informed or if there's any kind of insight or knowledge or ideas. And uh, if there is, I read them. And when it's just the You're usual suggesting standard there isn't a lot? Well, a lot, a lot is just the standard stuff. You know, the, minister, the minister's in charge. He must sort it now and bring back matron and get rid of the managers and hire loads of more doctors and nurses mm. and of course you know in the real world and people actually deal with health and manage health um, and know about health policy know it's very different to that but to respond to the criticism of of, of I, I think what I suppose what I do do on one level is I don't pretend there isn't a problem so um, you know I accept that that overcrowding is unacceptable that it's indefensible and that it's going on too long and when you do that and you call it as it is you then get criticised for being a commentator so maybe move on moving on from that uh, let's actually talk about the things that have been done in the last year. Uh, so we've really tried to tackle the issue on four levels. First of all, greater investment in primary care, particularly yeah. putting in, cl- in place uh, community intervention teams, nurses who can look after uh, patients in the community in nursing homes, do their bloods, give them IVs, watch their wounds, make sure they don't okay, have to go okay. to hospital in the first so place. Okay, get to the other um, thing there. Yes, the, the sec- second thing is, is greater investment in social care, more nursing home places, home health, home care packages and community hospitals. And that means that the number of people who are in hospital waiting on a home care package or waiting on uh, a nursing home is okay. at its lowest since uh, we three? ever started recording. The third, people say we don't have enough bed capacity, which is true. The last government took a thousand beds out of the hospitals during the boom. Um, I've put 300 in, was only able to get an extra 200 staffed, but um, we'll have the other 100 staffed in the next couple of weeks. Uh, And then the third thing is the whole process reforms, the new protocols and escalations policies. Now, the result of that is that overcrowding this year is lower than it was uh, in 2011 when we came to office, if you compare like with like, and lower, lower than it was last year. But what is totally obvious to me and this is what I've learned from it uh, is, is that is that not alone is there not any quick fix even a whole year of planning and a year of doing those things that I've outlined uh, isn't going to be enough okay, it so will be are required. you looking forward to staying on in health after the general election of Fine Gael are returned well, well first of all I have to hold my seat and I'm in Dublin West yeah, and, gonna, uh, I think that's pretty much well, given, well it's it? not actually because it's a very volatile constituency and it's one in which um, uh, big names often lose their seats so I don't it, I don't has look, a sceptical look um, on her face but, I have but to, to say t- listeners but Tan t- t- Answer your question. As if, does Terry. No, if, no. If I'm given the given the opportunity, I'll be happy to be reappointed. But I'd want to have the have both the resources and the authority to make the decisions that need to be made. Okay, and uh, that isn't always the case as a line minister. Uh, listen, to, uh, a lot of coverage of Renew during the week. A lot of critical coverage of Renew, particularly in relation to your flat tax plan, saying that they're, um, it's just the numbers just don't add up. Um, yeah, just I suppose on the on the health um, yeah, okay. a- agenda. Firstly, I mean, I, I think. Um, I think um, 
the the last point Leo made is a, is an interesting one about resources and authority because Ireland st- is still one of the highest spending of all of the OECD countries and um, in we? terms of healthcare in terms of healthcare yeah we're still at on the, public uh, healthcare we're still though. at the top uh, overall on healthcare yeah because a lot um, of that's no, private that's, insurance that's, we're, that's not we're still we're still we're still close to the top no um, but the but, but the point but the point is um, and I think it's interesting when Leo out, when Leo at, outlines the four pillars of of um, of attention uh, and priority in the health system over the last 12 months. Um, Management isn't mentioned at all, like in terms of um, actually how our hospitals are managed, how our health services are managed. Uh, And I think that's a key to performance uh, and it's a key to the uh, proper management of resources on behalf of taxpayers and it's a key to the proper management of the service delivery in the first place. And that goes to... There's been a lot of debate about health journey. We don't want to get too bogged down in health today. that goes to the heart of the point about authority because it's very difficult um, for any minister and we saw it in the past with Mary Harney as well, for any minister to achieve any serious reform if they don't have the authority and that requires the backing of a strong government and a strong cabinet. And we haven't seen leadership from okay. the government. The on, criticism of renew it. Um, well, look, life would be very dull if we weren't um, if we weren't going to be criticised. We anticipate criticism. Anybody who tries to change the system fundamentally is going to be criticised. Yeah. And um, well, did you make a mistake though? Because I I, I read your your uh, manifesto and there's loads in it and there's so many radical proposals, but it all seems to have got lost because. The argument would be because you were you went too far in your flat tax proposal and the numbers don't add up for that. And the rest of the stuff, stuff like changing the electoral system or getting rid of the leaving cert. I mean, there was loads of different There's proposals There's loads in there. it. And but I mean, did, that's it the lo- point did you make a mistake on that's that? That's the point of launching a manifesto is that, you know, it's 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 comprehensive and it's wide ranging. And I think in fairness, Shane, you read it in detail and we you interviewed me earlier in the week. Um, a lot of your co- colleagues didn't read it at all. Um, and that's, that's the difference. Um, on flat tax, of course, flat tax is a dramatic proposal. It's the most radical tax reform um, proposed since the foundation of the state. It's to uh, to essentially streamline 17 different rates of tax um, into one flat rate of income tax. And it is controversial. Of course it is. Um, but we are very happy that we have we have worked on this proposal for nine months. We have consulted with some of the top tax advisors uh, in Ireland and uh, and we believe that our, our, our model stands up. A lot of the criticism is just not informed mm. criticism. Um, I mean, there are very serious uh, errors in a lot of the analysis okay. that I have read, um, but look, we're here to debate okay. it, and L- I think I think I don't certainly, and Renewa doesn't have um, um, have all of the wisdom. But what we are doing is trying to ensure that we okay. have a proper debate, L- just and we are putting Terry, new fresh ideas uh, out there. Just before I bring in Terry, Leo, I, I imagine in a, in another life, a, a radical young Leo Varadkar, a flat tax was something you might have looked at. Um, actually, did look at it because uh, it's it's you know when, I suppose when you're in opposition and when you're in student politics, you, you look at all these sort of ideas and and see where they've been done in other countries. It's been done in a couple of Eastern European countries, certainly not countries that have the kind of growth rates that, that we have. Um, and you know the, the research indicates that uh, it is unfair uh, because it means that um, the very wealthy pay the same percentage tax. Uh, well, it, dep- it depends where the minimum income is set. Doesn't it, it, it does, but, but, but look, but, we won't, we yeah, won't get too even leaving aside minimum incomes, it means that somebody earning 50 grand pays the same percentage marginal rate as somebody on 100 grand, which which okay. um, which is, is the case now, but but is actually, to, to me, to me is unfair. Okay. Can, I, can I ask um, you, because, I mean, you were... And you were then, then there's also the fact that the, 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 at 23%, which is the proposed rate, um, that leaves a 3.5 billion euro uh, a whole, well, which uh, on, which on, on we say will, will, yeah, but, will be but, but, filled but, by the by the good economy. Just yeah, just but, because but, we're, but, we're but, running but, out of time. But, but what reputable economist or tax analyst will stand over that claim? Okay. Uh, well, well, actually, um, just actually, briefly, actually, um, KPMG, which is. Um, 
one of the the the, the top tax advising uh, companies in, in the state has published an independent report, which we did not commission, which is completely independent of Renewal, which analyzes it um, and and looks at the. The, the broad and the dynamic uh, impact of introducing a, a flat rate of income tax of 23%. Uh, and that has just um, uh, come out um, in the media over the last um, two days. And I think that that shows very robustly uh, that a flat tax can and will work. And actually, okay. and actually, where flat tax has been introduced in every single country, bar none, in every single country, uh, tax revenues have actually increased okay. rather than declined. So we're very happy to stand over okay. it. And, uh, L- L- and, there are, and there are plenty of economists in, in, okay. in the country okay. like, um, like Jim Power, like Con- Constantine Gurdjieff and others, who have who have looked at our, our analysis, who've looked at Leo, our data, and, have, and, and, and think it's absolutely robust. You and Lucinda were good pals in, in college. I think I'm right in saying. Would you welcome um, having Lucinda at the cabinet table as the the renewal watchdog, barking, slapping around Finnegale's ankles in the, after the, the next election? Well, I, I don't know about a watchdog <laughs> barking or snapping around around. Um, Around um, or our tails, whatever that is, but um, but I, it's, I'd certainly welcome uh, Lucinda Cabin. I think she's a, a, a politician of, of real class and ability, and I was sorry to lose her from the party, but that's 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 the okay. way it is. And, and we are, of course, looking to um, uh, looking for the government to be reelected on the basis that, that we're the ones that have the long term economic plan to keep okay. uh, the, the recovery going. And, and you're, you're you keep the recovery going. Interesting, yeah. you mentioned uh, that although, because uh, that, that, that's that not a line but, at all. But there, but there is a, a weird dynamic going on in 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 politics at the moment, which I think is a bit strange. Is that that um, having previously ruled out um, I, or certainly propping up Fine Gael, Renewa now wants to be our, our watchdog or something and Labour seem to want to be our thermostat, you know, so it's... Uh, it's what does that mean? What's the thermostat? <laughs> well, that, that's, that, seems, that seems to be the argument now with Labour that they have ruled out coalition with Sinn Féin and Fianna Fáil so they can only be back in, in government with Fine Gael, but they want to sort of moderate or balance Fine Gael, so it's sort of like vote for us, we're the thermostat, which is... Um, Okay, you know, which, that, which, which, Terry, that wouldn't be a that wouldn't you know? be a catchy slogan. slogan. Yeah. What a selling slogan that one. No, but uh, Leo has already used the Finnegall slogan, which is keeping the recovery. I, I noticed that. Yeah, according yeah, yeah. to, can, to you, can, you can buy a Finnegall doll where you pull a cord and it just says "keep the recovery going," <laughs> as opposed to that we have a five-point plan. Um, no, we have a long-term economic plan. Uh, but the 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 point about the this plans, election the one is in, uh, that I'm not sure that. Mark Mortel or any of the creative guys in Fine Gael needed to come up with something new or different. I suspect that this was the kind of selection that the Liveline programme does by putting somebody sitting on the back of a bus and listening to what people are talking about because it appeals to the fear that says, no, no, we actually don't want change. We're only beginning to convalesce and recover and we don't want any challenges or any big bright ideas right now. Let's just keep money in the back of our pocket. And to that extent, Fine Gael have the easiest role when it comes to picking an election slogan. The other parties will have a much tougher uh, uh, stance to take because in many elections uh, smaller parties can play on the it's time for change thing but in this particular election I'm not sure that there is as much of a hunger for change. People don't many voters don't particularly like say the leader of Fine Gael or individuals within Fine Gael, but by golly they like the recovery. Okay, hold that thought for a moment. We need to take a short break. Our, our newspaper panel, Leo Vlaker, Lucinda Creighton and Terry Plone are staying with us back in a moment on the Sunday show.
Okay, uh, Lucinda Creighton, Terry Prone and Leo Verlaker are still with us. We're going through the uh, the Sunday papers, which I was saying earlier are kind of dominated uh, by Leah and uh, Leo even and L- Lucinda. Leah, that's kind of a combination of two, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I go on, Shane. A couple of articles on the two. Yeah. Right, uh, also an article, I was going to say, you're not the only Verlaker making the headlines yeah. today. Your, your dad is interviewed in, uh, in which he's... Um, it, it turns out he's a bit more liberal than you, it would seem. He's saying, Fine Gael, yeah, they're, you know, I hope they're returned, but I, I'd be a bit more liberal than Fine Gael. Well, he wasn't interviewed, actually. He did an interview for Forum, which is the magazine of the Irish College of General Practitioners. Right. And, um, um, and it was picked up. I think yeah, it's picked up in yeah, the Phil, Sunday I think, Independent. I think, I think, it's, I think it's Philip Ryan, is it? Or, um, yeah. Yeah, who's um, uh, obviously um, very... Uh, uh, Efficient and prolific journalist yeah, and managed absolutely. to go through um, the Irish College of General Practitioners. Well, you, you, get a, you get a story and, from uh, wherever you can. And fa- found a story there. Uh, okay, but I know he's more liberal than you. I don't know about that now. But uh, okay. um, he'd be... Um, um, actually, I think increasingly over time we, we have more similar views, which is actually kind of disturbing because yeah, you know, as a teenager you always have the total opposite views of your parents and then you start, yeah. the start agreeing with them. What was the line about you? At what, fifteen, you think you're stupid, but and he learned a lot yeah. in the intervening I, I, three or four I, I years. Think def, definitely, I, I hope this doesn't sound ageist, but definitely for his his age group, he's very liberal. That does sound ageist. That, that is, I know that is terribly. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I withdraw an apology. Yeah. The picture of Leo Varadkar's parents in today's papers pushing a shopping trolley in in a humble way. They just look amazingly young. Obviously, their son's career has not worn them down. No, it's the fabulous health. Leo's beginning to look it's a fabulous health yes, system. Right? Yeah. People are doing yeah. it for longer than ever. Lucinda, lots a uh, fair bit of coverage as well over the weekend on um, Enda Kenny giving a free vote on this issue of the referendum on the Eighth Amendment. Uh, does it kind of do you look at that in a certain sort of ironic way when you think that basically you had to leave or felt you had to leave the Fine Gael party over your stance on uh, on that protection of life and pregnancy? Well, bill? I think it just proves that, you know, they will or he will do whatever is politically expedient at a given time. And I think it it, it actually bolsters the fact that um, that um, that Fine Gael um, should not be let back into government um, with the Labour Party to do uh, to do to do what they choose without any mandate from the people. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I certainly believe, well, I don't believe that the current government can or will be returned. I just don't believe that they have or will have the numbers. So um, the question then is... Well, you do want to be re-elected with Renewa. Then is... The, then is, <laughs> not, is not, I have no preference like. at all, Leo. I have absolutely I thought, no I preference. I thought you wanted to be our watchdog. No, no, you should listen carefully <laughs> to what I say. Um, we want we want to be in government. And uh, I think that marks... With anyone. Us, I think that marks us out from, uh, from um, the vast majority of... Uh, new small parties and independents who seem to just want to be in opposition critiquing rather than actually um, you know sitting in the driving seat trying to make change in the country but do you and, want to be governor of Fianna um, Fáil or Sinn Féin do, I, well, we've, we have very clearly ruled out Sinn Féin but we have no, no preference after that we, we, we have the only priority that we have as a party is to ensure that we're in a government where we can uh, influence the direction and ensure that our, our agenda as outlined in our 80 page manifesto on Monday uh, will be implemented and uh, I have absolutely no interest in your party or any other particular party being elected. My job is to ensure that Renewa wins as many seats as we can nationwide and I think we're on track if to, that was to, the to position, make a just, just, impact. Yeah, but, but realistically Renewa, even if all your candidates were elected, is going to be uh, a minor party in any government, so you're going to have to compromise on the vast majority. Well, if, of your if all our candidates were elected, we, we intend running. We intend running uh, close to thirty candidates. If all our candidates were elected, we'd be we'd be far more than a minor party. Um, but you know, smaller parties can have a significant impact if they have a clear agenda. They know what they want to achieve and they know how to achieve it. Um, and you know, arguably, 
you have two large parties in government currently who didn't have a particularly clear agenda and, you know, didn't have a particularly um, um, a zealous approach to reform over the last five years. I think a smaller party with a focus uh, okay. actually can have a really dramatic impact, it, it, a positive impact just on the country. Be- just before I go to, to, to Leo on this, if you if there had been a free vote, uh, was it three years ago, four years ago, um, would you still be in Fine Gael now? I can't answer that. That's a hypothetical. I don't know. I mean, there are a lot of issues that I was unhappy with um, uh, at that time. There are a lot of issues that I have been particularly unhappy with since. I, I don't know is the okay. honest answer. Okay. Um, Leo Racker, maybe you can explain because I'm a little bit confused because you have Brian Hayes saying that free vote won't mm. or shouldn't apply to, to ministers and then you have Enda Kenny coming out and saying, mm. well, yeah, no, I think it's fair enough for, for ministers. I mean, is that is it a sign of weakness yeah, on the well, part? I'll answer that in a second, but just um, just to pick up on something that um, uh, Lucinda said there, we came to government with a very clear agenda. Uh, point one of the five point plan uh, to get Ireland back to work 130,000 people now back to work unemployment cut by half point two get okay. the public finances right. back in order okay. without increasing income tax Party political broadcast we did better over. than that yeah, we, yeah. We, the public okay. finances are now back in order debt is down and All we've right. reduced income tax in the USC and we want to keep that going okay. and the right. best way to keep that going so we can uh, deliver the resources we need to improve yeah, okay. services well, you, you've given the party political broadcast is, is, is answer, answer, answer the question What's the question again? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I'm, 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 I'm teasing. No, the, 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 the straight answer to, to your straight question is is, is that it's, it's it's not determined yet. What we've agreed as a party uh, is You're that making it, it up as you go along. No, what we've agreed as a party is that a commission will be established uh, by the new government if we're leading that government uh, to examine people's assembly. I thought we had a people's assembly called Dáil Éireann, No, uh, we do, but this is this is a complicated issue uh, and a very emotive issue and Sorry, a very divisive. Sorry, fudge issue. it and kick it into somebody else. Not then. at all. What we're going to do is establish um, a, c- a commission with. The, with the legal, medical and other expertise that are necessary uh, to propose uh, changes to our law on abortion and that will then be put to a free vote uh, of the doll. and to the best of my understanding uh, it'll, it'll be a free vote that will be applied to um, uh, ministers as well as TDs but that's something obviously the Taoiseach uh, will, be able to, will be able to clarify um, and you do have to, you have to ha- look at this issue uh, you know there are people who take the view that you just delete the 8th Amendment uh, yeah, I but know that, that's, but not, that that's gives, not your position. You've, you've said but, that. But that gives that gives um, that gives you know f- f- total freedom to the Dáil and Shannon to legislate um, in any way it likes. Whereas I think most people in this country are probably in the position that I would be in, where we find the laws on abortion to be too restrictive. Um, we should allow for abortion in certain circumstances, but we shouldn't uh, give the Oireachtas total authority to uh, allow for abortion on request or on demand, okay, which is okay. what is the case in other countries. Uh, Terry, from from what you're hearing there, is there is there scope for Fine Gael and Renewa to sit around the cabinet table together, do you think? I think that if I were advising both parties in the unlikely event of this being a possibility, I would be suggesting that they agree an absolutely copper-fastened contract that covers every possibility because the one thing that you cannot have is somebody who uh, is not going to stay in government. Solid government is what is needed in the next few years. Whoever makes it up and therefore the preliminary negotiation and agreement on policy would be crucial. 
Okay, and in a word, just very briefly because we're, we're out of time, is it a sign of weakness or a, stri- a sign of strength when a Taoiseach or a Prime Minister, in David Cameron's sense, uh, example, gives a free vote on an issue like this? Depends entirely on the on the issue. I don't believe that anything other than a free vote is safe or legitimate in something which is going to decide the terms in which the argument will happen, whether it is that the fetus has the same right as the woman involved. That's so fundamental that only individual votes count. OK, uh, we leave it there. My thanks to uh, Lucinda Creighton, to Terry Prone and to the Health Minister, uh, Leo Vraker.